Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of, excuse me, Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 575. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about three simple words, do no harm. And the double bind of do no harm. And the old, the old, the classic double bind. The old double bind. For those of you who don't know what a double bind is, uh, I'm right there with you, but hopefully we'll know <laughs> it by the end of this podcast. Uh, but first, uh, Kathy does something called Zen Parenting Moment, and we're going to talk about one specifically on gaslighting, and I'm going to read it. And then we're going to have a quick back and forth about it. You ready, sweetie? Are you going to read the whole thing or just parts? I cut out one paragraph. Okay, because it's a longie. Here we go. So just buckle up. This will take me a minute to read. Uh, Gaslighting is used to gain more power and cause a person to question their reality, a common tactic of abusers, dictators, narcissists, and cult leaders. It's done slowly so people don't recognize how much they've been brainwashed. It usually starts with blatant lies, things you you know aren't true. They tell you with a straight face, setting up a precedent of being unsure about what to believe. It leaves you questioning and continually off balance and even self-blaming. Gaslighters will deny doing or saying something even if you have evidence or they have admitted it before. They will attack what is most important to you, like your work or parenting, saying you aren't good or worthy so that they can destroy your foundation. They will project all of their bad traits onto you, like accusing you of lying because they are lying, to distract from their behavior. Pay close attention to what a gaslighter accuses you accuses others of doing because it's the closest thing you will ever get to a confession. They may also align other people against you or at least tell you that other people are against you to make you feel alone and scared. Your isolation gives them more control. They do this over time and gradually ramp up. Even the most self-aware people can get sucked into gaslighting, which is why it's described as the frog in the frying pan. Pan. The heat is turned up so slowly, the frog never realizes what's happening. People who gaslight are master manipulators because they know people crave normalcy and stability. They tell you everyone else is lying, even experts or your family members, which leaves so audacious, which feels so audacious, it makes you consider whether or not it could be true. Then you look to them for stability, which perpetuates the vicious cycle. Finally, It's time to recognize the signs of gaslighting and practice self-trust. Rely on long-term trusted family, friends, or family members to test reality. I'm screwing that up. Rely on long-term trusted friends or family members to reality test your situation and never hesitate to ask for help if you feel like you've been manipulated. I have a question, and you can, because you're going to cut that part out anyway. Yeah. Um, Why don't I read those? Because I'm about to ask you about what it is. Okay. So just some balance of some language. Got it. All right. Because I just like I because I wrote it, like yeah. I have a flow of conversation with yeah. it. And I know and you're great at reading, but it's like you're having to work through it when I could read it like you know what I mean. Just um but go ahead. So this one was shared and you got a lot of feedback. Yeah. My first question is why do you think this landed so well? Well I posted it for a reason. Like I wrote about gaslighting, I don't know a year or two ago and, and it was not supposed to be, um, I was not planning on sharing it as a part of Zen parenting moment, but, um, I was having one of those days where I was like, we're being gaslit right now, (laughs) um, by the political situation we're in. And now it's like a week later and it's continuing where we're being told something that we know isn't true and people are perpetuating it. And we're, it's, it's a, um, this it's not really a political issue we're dealing with right now in our country. It's not, it, you know, there's nothing political or partisan about saying we have a fair and free election. Yeah. So for those of you guys that don't know, we're taping this on November 23rd. And Joe Biden, for all intent and purposes, has won the election yet. Joe pres- Biden has won the election. Right? Yet, yet. President Trump continues to fight in court about whether or not that's true. Right. And the only reason I stopped you, Todd, is I I don't mean to be, but what you just did is what his gaslight is causing people to do. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, he won. You, people are saying, well, it looks like, and the truth is, this is what happened. And when people keep beating around the bush and saying, well, it looks like we're, we are giving in to- Let me rephrase. Yeah. 
Joe Biden won the election. Yes. And, Period. And and for people who are like, yeah, but this could be true. Anything like this is the first time in history that we've ever questioned this. And, and I will say this. I remember um, about three or four years ago, it was right after the 2016 election. I was listening to a podcast. It was a fresh air podcast about election security, mm-hmm. not about like Russian yeah. interference, but about just how there were certain people who were trying to say that elections were not valid or that, um, you know, people just just those basic structures of like you need to bring a certain kind of ID or because you're a felon, you can't vote or, um, you know, if you're not here, we're not going to open up new polls, Mm -hmm. polling places for you or we're going to close the polls at six, like things that have already caused um, voting to be a challenge for people in the first place. And those things are done on purpose to keep people from voting or to keep certain people from voting. Yeah. And I remember listening to it and how they kept saying over and over again, every time this comes up and ends up in a court of law, there is no proof that there is any kind of fraud yeah. going on. But people keep bringing it up because then it forces us to question it. And then all of a sudden it becomes a talking point and people do exactly what you just did, which is we're like, well, mm-hmm. and this is that this is a big version of gaslighting. Yeah. Where we are having people tell us, Republican and Democrats, say, no, no, we did all those checks and balances. Yes, there were people in the room. Yes, we did this thing. Sure, could you find like a human error here and there? Yeah, but that's not fraud. When when I heard, uh, when I read this mm-hmm. and then it got so many responses, it immediately made me think of abusive relationships. Well, and that's the other reason yeah. that I wrote it. Now, the reason I posted it was for what we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. Okay. What, the other reason I wrote it is because, like I said, this is a grand scale gaslighting. Yeah. This also happens to people who are in any kind of relationship where someone is trying to gain control of them. Yeah. So I write, have written about and have talked a lot about abusive relationships where this happens, where you have a partner who basically tells you um, – even if something's right in your face that they didn't do it, or even if you have picture or proof, they'll say, no, that wasn't me. Or they will then, as I said in that one paragraph, turn everything around on you and project onto you the things that they're doing. Like that, the most important line in that writing that you just read is pay close attention to what a gaslighter accuses other people of, because that's the closest thing you'll get to a confession. Because that's called projection Mm -hmm. where they're doing it. So they turn it around and accuse other people. This also happens with teachers. This can also happen with someone, you know, that people call a guru. Um, This can happen obviously in dictatorships and that kind of thing. But the whole point of it is to gain control and make people question themselves. Uh, The one paragraph you took out of there was about where gaslighting that word comes from. And it comes from a movie or it uh, originally, I think, a stage play and then a movie um, where a a partner basically tries to make their partner feel crazy. Yeah. Actually, can you read that paragraph? Because so I'm not doing it justice. Um, yes, I can do that. I got to pull up my email, though, because I cut it out. Wouldn't you know, I cut out the one thing that you wanted me to keep in there. Well, that that is why people struggle with the word. Yeah. Because they don't know where it comes from or what it means. And so they have a hard time relating The term it. originates from the 1938 play and the 1944 film adaptation Gaslight, where the protagonist's husband slowly manipulates her into believing she's losing her mind. Gaslighting is a pattern of behavior that is typical in abusive relationships. Yes. So basically that's where the word comes from. But I I work with a lot of women who tell me their situations and they are being gaslit Mm -hmm. because they are being told that they are dropping the ball. They are being told that it's their fault that something happened. They're being told that their partner had an affair and the partner blames them for them for partner having the affair. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're like, I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't done this. Um, There's a lot of, um, it's, you know, I also see this in any kind of relationship where the person, the person doing it usually has some kind of narcissism issue where they can't claim ownership or they 
don't know how to, um, in, in our political situation, concede, or they don't know how to take responsibility for their own behavior. Right. So what they have learned is if they push it onto somebody else, or at least make it seem as if someone else did it, raise that kind of doubt, then they can keep moving through the world right. without having to feel the effects of what they did, mm. which connects very much to what we're going to talk about today, which is do no harm. Right. Because gaslighting is significantly harmful. For sure. I mean, I, I think that goes without saying, but it takes, you know, the women I work with who have been in relationships where that has occurred, it takes a lot of healing to to trust yourself again. Well, I feel like we should, um, so I just wrote down the words, the gaslighters make you question your reality. Correct. And we've done a whole podcast on gaslighting, and maybe I'll include it in the show notes, but what I got out of us talking about it that day, whatever, last year, whenever it was, was it's when somebody's mind effing you, right? Correct. But you're like, but you wanted to help me more deeply understand how it's just not about somebody mind effing you. It's right. something beyond that. Can you speak to that? Well, I think because you, like you said, you said that to me the other day and I said that that is it, but that's too general mm -hmm. because it really is a master manipulation mm -hmm. because someone can kind of mind, you know, F with you and then kind of walk away and, you know, they're just right. trying to mess with you. So, there's, the there's, one time. so for gaslighting, there's greater design, there's greater purpose Correct. from the gaslighters Correct. versus somebody just messing with your brain. Correct. Yeah. Well, you know, it, always bad. I mean, yeah. I would always put that in a, probably the bad category anytime someone's trying to mess with your brain. But usually a gaslighter is somebody who is in the – close to you, mm -hmm. in your orbit where they really do make you feel as if you don't know what's right or wrong, good or bad, mm -hmm. you know, truth or false. Um you remember that Martin Short Saturday Night Live skit? And I'm trying not to make light of this very important topic, but uh, he's got the cigarette uh -huh. and he's like all nervous. Uh -huh. And he's like, I'm not the one being defensive. You're the one being defensive. Correct. Would that be an example of gaslighting? Like it's just, instead of him taking it, he's just going to project the exact same thing he's being accused of onto somebody else. Correct. And I think that, and I know exactly the skit you're talking about, and it, it I, is hilarious. I actually have it. I just don't know if I want to play it. Plus, but I don't know. we've had so many real experiences like that in yeah. the past however many years of like people literally going on the news and lying about something where the reason that it makes us go crazy yeah. is because it's so aggravating because we know it's not true and we look around and people let them get away. And when I say let them, I'm putting that in air quotes because it's not like one person is solely responsible. It's just we collectively let people get away with this. Now it's difficult. It becomes more painful and difficult in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, especially in a partnership. Or I definitely had this experience. Um, I had it in a partnership. I was definitely in, in an abusive relation, an emotionally abusive relationship at one point where I experienced this, but also I experienced this with teachers who, you know, I was very close with and I was learning from. And then all of a sudden it started to be more of a controlling situation where there was a lot of like things said to me that was making me, you know, how do I say this? There was a lot of projection yeah. going on and it was in order to keep me under control. Mm. But you're so close in the relationship that really all you feel like is you're letting someone down. Mm -hmm. You feel like you must be doing it wrong. And if you have a history of being a people pleaser or you have a history of being someone maybe who has let people down or that that's your greatest fear, then it can be you can be a little easier or that you seek, like for me, I think it was, I kind of looked outside of myself for approval. Right. And so if you are really, if you have a really heightened sense of looking outside of yourself for approval, then you will want a teacher or a partner or someone else to tell you you're doing it right. Right. And if they don't do that or they tell you you're doing it wrong, you work really hard to make them happy. And then this becomes a cycle of abuse. Right. So that's really what this is all about. But if you would like to play Martin Short, go ahead. I don't know if this is the right part. Effective novelty items which at best don't work and don't provide hours of family fun. And at worst, are creating serious injury. So what are you saying? Saying that your boss, Mr. Lee, is in effect the Mr. Big of the pirate novelty business. No, he isn't. You're just saying that to get a higher rating on your TV show. I wish I were, but we saw your people making pirate minkman schnozzes. 
I don't know what you're talking about. It's so funny that you say that. They don't make snozzes. They make semiconductors for a very reputable computer company. What's wrong with that? Is there something wrong with that? Why, 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 why is that suddenly wrong to do? I don't understand that. Why are you pointing the finger at other people all the time? Why don't you point the finger at yourself? Do a little more reading, maybe. Less time in court, maybe. That would be effective for you. Pardon me for saying this, but you seem defensive. I'm not being defensive. You're the one who's being defensive. Why is it always the other person who's being defensive? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why don't you ask yourself that? So, I don't mean to make light of it, but, and maybe we'll cut this out, I don't know, but it's, it, it, you know, it's just, it's the projection. You know, there's, it's funny, like, projection is part of gaslighting, uh, control is part of gaslighting. Yep. It's a very manipulation, manipulation, reality testing. Right. And I think, like, you know, it's funny, it, it's interesting to hear that clip because it used to be more funny to me mm. because I was like, oh, that's an exaggeration yeah. of what people do. And it's, it's, we've seen worse than that well, now, now in that's, real time. Well, now that's the opposite of an exaggeration. It's understated. Correct. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's interesting. It, that clip tells you how far we've come. come since the 1982 exactly. version of this. Is that now we're so used to being told things that we know aren't true. Yeah. But we kind of just go along because it's easier. And we, and it's not easier in the long run, but it feels like, you know, <laughs> we're just like, oh, like, can we just get through this? And then we end up, what does the person, either the partner, the, you know, the person who's doing this, what do they get out of it? They get to get away with a lot of things. Yeah. They get to, we end up catering th them or saying, how do we, we end up walking on eggshells around them. They end up getting that kind of control because they're so unpredictable in nature and we become so afraid and so uncomfortable with the fallout of us questioning it. And so it really does harm. It really does damage. And so I got, after that one came out, that's parenting moment. Um, I think it was last Monday. I got a lot of emails from people saying, okay, thank you for the description. And also I've experienced this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I think majority of us have, and we're all experiencing it right now. Um, and we just need to call something what it is yeah. so we aren't like beating around well, the first bush. you got to label it so Correct. that we know what we're talking about. Correct. Yeah. And so we can see how these things happen and how we need to keep it from happening. So, so uh, the other thing I wanted to say about Zen parenting moment is I now it used to be on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and now it's just, it's on Tuesday, Thursday. And that was just a, I just started that this week. So if you didn't get it on Monday, don't be afraid. It's coming Tuesday, Thursday, um, just a shift in days. Um, but go to zenparentingradio.com and right at the top, you will see uh, subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. It's free. Like I said, they now come twice a week. Um, the only way to get it is to sign up for the email. You yeah. can't find it on the website. Yeah, it's not a blog. It's an email. So before we get to Do No Harm, I do want to give a shout out to our partner of the week, which is Big Life Journal. Have you ever heard your child say, I can't do anything right. I don't want to try. This is stupid. It's so hard to hear your children saying these things. The good news is we can help our children develop a growth mindset so they can have higher self-esteem and realize that they can achieve and learn anything. Our friends over at Big Life Journal makes tools to help you do just that. By using their guided journals and printable activities, just a few minutes a day, you can help your child turn around their thinking to become, I'm going to try even if it's difficult. I'm enough. I can do my best. These illustrated journals are packed with guided activities, writing prompts, and stories. Over 600,000 parents and educators trust Big Life Journal. Uh, resources. So don't wait and check them out today. Get your special growth mindset journals or one of their popular printable kits and witness the positive change in your children. Head over to biglifejournal.com and use the coupon code ZENPARENT for 10% off your order. It's a good gift for the holidays. Yes. So thank you, Big Life Journal. So talking about do no harm and the double bind, what we were just talking about with gaslighting, that is blatantly harmful. Okay. But I, I was reading, um, there's this person that I follow on Facebook. Um, her name is uh, Lissa Rankin. I thought it was Lisa and my friend Annie just told me it's Lissa. Um, and she's been very interesting to me in the last couple months because um, she has been speaking out about a lot of spiritual teachers who maybe have not been 
very um, fair when it comes to what they teach and how they teach it in that they don't observe the trauma in people. They don't observe maybe the different um, situation that a person is in. Treat everybody as if everybody comes from their the background or the same background. Exactly. And so sometimes they're, they're teachings aren't very trauma informed or just aren't informed racially or they're not informed, you know, in regards to socioeconomic needs. So she's been talking a lot about that and also talking about how a lot of teachers have gone down the Q rabbit hole, which for those of you who don't know what that is, um, there have been a lot of conspiracy theories out there and Todd and I have done a few shows about that. So we're not going to go into that deeply right now, but basically there, there is, there are people in the wellness community that I consider myself a part of that have been sucked into a lot of conspiracy theories and that Q, which is an organization I don't want to give any more. It's not an organization. It's a belief system, a belief system that is based on, nothing um, is it's based on a lot of throwing things out there and people like pull stories from it. Um, It's a lot of people in the wellness community have kind of gone down this rabbit hole where they have this belief system that is harmful, not only to them and to all of us as a nation, but it's harmful to the people who follow them. Mm. So a lot of teachers that I have respected, um, it's been hard to see them kind of go off this beaten path. But you can kind of understand why it happens because a lot of holistic teachers, yoga teachers have been taught, trained to look out of the box. Like a lot of things I believe are very spiritually inclined. And so sometimes they don't always, it's not that they're in conflict with science, but there's a bigger, more expanded viewpoint, right? But that then, if get take if you take that too far, then you start to lose track of science and all of a sudden you just start to focus on what feels right to you. Right. And and you're not in, in alignment anymore. Well, and it just makes me think of the term empathy. Like we have to be empathic to one, our influence, because you're talking about Correct. famous teachers, famous yeah. teachers out mm-hmm. there. They've written books that have sold a lot of books. So can you be empathic with everybody's journey, not just the one that you're coming from? Correct. So, And can you be thoughtful about what you're teaching and how that can be harmful to others? And um, if you don't have, you know, there's no way, and this is, this is kind of what I wanted to talk about, there's no way that we can know always how our words are going to land, right? You and I have been talking for 10 years. Mm-hmm about things in regards to spirituality or mindfulness or, um, you know, connection. And I have gotten emails before where people said, oh, when you said this, this really hurt me, or you didn't mention this. And and we always try and be very thoughtful and empathetic about those emails because we want to make sure that we are speaking in a way that is not doing harm. Yeah. There is no way for us to do it perfectly, and we don't expect to. Yeah. There's an imperfection in communication, and there's also a taking responsibility for listening and learning and and doing our best right. to not do that. So the reason that I brought up Lissa and her, her page is because she started talking about those teachers, but then kind of veered off into the idea of do no harm just overall. That like, for example, right now with COVID, it is very difficult to not do any harm. Whatever decision you make regarding COVID, there's going to be impact. Exactly. Perfectly said. So for example, if you decide you want to send your kid to school, that may be what they want. That makes, there. there's a norm to the day. Your kid is getting some education that you feel like, you know, in-person education that you feel is best for them. That might be good for the other students who are learning from your student. It may be good for the teachers, whatever it may be. But there also is an impact that they be may be more exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, you and, and I know people will say, but you know, school is not where the biggest transmission is. I and I hear all that. I read all the research. I'm not debating that. What I'm saying is there's risk in that, yeah. right? But there's also a risk if you make a choice to keep your kid home where you're like, you know what? They don't need to be doing school right now. Let's stay online. They seem to be learning well. But maybe there's some mental wellness implications by not having them in the school where your child is like not seeing people. So on either side of the coin, for those of us, and and I put myself in this category, and I think you would too, and I think this is the majority of us because I, I see I believe in the inherent goodness of people. None of us want to harm anybody. Mm -hmm. Yet no matter what decision we make, somebody or something could 
be harmed. Yeah. And I feel like COVID is the exaggerated version of this in, you know, going beyond COVID into maybe more typical situations that we have. Like I remember, you know, deciding whether or not to go on vacation with our girls to Mexico one time. Mm -hmm. This was a long time ago. And being so worried because they were so young. Mm -hmm. And like, what if this happens? Or what if this happens? And I remember the house we were staying in had like this railing. Yeah. And I, I, we had stayed there before and I knew that. And I was like, what if that's unsafe for them? And what if this and what if that? And I remember I had to basically just be like, what? There is no perfect scenario here. There could be harm either way. Yeah. When it's funny, like I'm trying not to bypass here, but... <clears throat> What I often say, not necessarily about COVID, but just anything, whenever we're evaluating risk, right. I always bring this up and I don't know what the science is behind it, but the the one of the most risky things that we do as adults is get in the car and drive. Right. Like that is where a lot of bad stuff happens. Right. So I feel like, yes, it's a risk to do this or that or that, but we're, we think that we are in control of our risk, which we're not. Right. I mean- to your point, like, is it is it a risk for me to jump in the car and go somewhere? That's a risk. It's safer. I'm less likely to be killed by staying at home. Right. But yet I'm still going to go out and run my errands and do these things that I need to do. While at the same time, I can choose never to leave my house, but that's impactful because that means I'm living as a recluse and I can't do that. Now, that's a very extreme yeah example I'm giving to you, but it's the truth. There's risk in anything we do. And what we do with that analogy that you just gave, and, and I actually read an article I remember this summer about driving mm -hmm. because it is so inherently risky, is that our brains have become conditioned to the risk because we do it so often. Sure. And part of the reason the pandemic has been so difficult it's is because new. it's brand new. Yeah. So here's, here's what I'll say about that is what we do then when we jump in a car is we make sure that we are thoughtful drivers. We put on a seatbelt. We don't text and drive. Mm -hmm. We we put in these um, safety. We make sure we get new new tires in our car. Correct. Like we do these all these things to Correct. minimize. But, minimize. But the idea of us there's no zero. It right. It never goes down to zero in anything. Well, in life, like this, and then this gets deeply spiritual. Like this is why life feels the way it does, where we kind of have this fear that comes up in this survival instinct and these protections, because being alive is inherently risky. Like I'm going beyond COVID. By the way, we're not making, this is not about COVID yeah. per se. This is just about COVID as a perfect example, yeah. because I believe in the science and I believe we should be doing, you know, wearing our masks and washing our hands. It's not about that. It's about the compassion that we feel for ourselves and other people when we are making these decisions in life where we're not like, wait, there's one right way and one wrong way. There is calculated risk throughout our life that we can look through our lens and say, um, you know, this is right and this is wrong because of my experience. But for another person, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I think what you know, what's important is I feel like right now, because of where we're at, we need to be convincing more people to be thoughtful about COVID. And I, I 100% agree with that. But I don't think we need to be demonizing people in order to do that. Right. I, I think that we need to be addressing misconceptions and we need to be talking about science. But there's a lot of because I do this, everybody else should too. Well, there's blame. blame and yeah. and what I do when I'm coaching clients or talking to my daughters or talking to friends, and 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 I own my own blame mentality. We right. all have a certain amount of blame that we push sure. everything out. My, my invitation to, let's just stay with my clients for a second, is okay, you're blaming that this person should have done this because they acted inappropriately or they right. said something wrong. That may be true. And how is it that you sometimes act irresponsibly and inappropriately? But that takes work. So when I talk about work, that's the work. Like it's easy from the cheap seats to point fingers. Correct. When in fact, can we own our own version of irresponsibility or unconscious behavior? And then, and then I guess the flip side of that coin is when you do find somebody blaming something 
blaming somebody for for them doing something wrong, can you also know that that's not a complete picture of who that person is? Right. They also do a lot of other things that are beneficial to themselves, men and women throughout their community and all that. So the one act, it's kind of like Brian Stevenson, what is it like? You know, the, we are not va- we are not measured by our worst act. Correct. So, anyways, it's a lot. Our of humanity difference. is a lot broader and yeah, bigger than of that. Course. Well, it's interesting. I, I like what you just said, and um, it reminds me of there's a uh, Anne Lamott book called Almost Everything that came out a couple of years ago, and she actually has a quote about this that's very related to what you just said, Todd. Um, and then, so I'll just read part of it. Okay. She says Anne Lamott says, "Empathy begins when we realize how much alike we all are." Just that sentence alone, right? And again, she wrote this in 2018, so she's talking a little bit political here, but she gets off it in a second. She says, my focus on hate made me notice I'm too much like certain politicians. The main politician I'm thinking of and I are always right. I too can be a blowhard, a hoarder, needing constant approval and acknowledgement, needing to feel powerful. This politician I'm speaking of had an abusive father, but he managed to stay alive. I don't think he meant to grow up to be someone who debased women or or had racist tendencies, but he was raised to be afraid and came to believe that all he needed was a perfect woman and a lot of money. He must be a lonely, empty man. And then she says, there is no beauty or safety in hatred. As a long-term strategy, it's doomed. But she says, nobody can take this hatred off me. I just have to continually surrender it every time I become aware of it. It will not go well, I know, but I don't want my life's ending to be that I was toxic and self-righteous. And I don't know if my last day will be this Thursday or in 20 years, but whenever that day comes, I want to be living insofar as possible in the Wendell Berry words of, be joyful, though you have considered the facts. Mm. And I want to have had dessert too. That's very Anne Lamont. She says, maybe insanity will not change to wisdom and a focus on the common good anytime soon, but I can bring less hate to this pot of stone soup to the common well. And she just, you know, she goes on. But basically, I love her ownership of that we all hate Mm -hmm. and that we are all so similar. But then what is our choice in there? Yeah. It's not saying I'm I was born to be a better human than you. It's I can relate Maya Angelou said anything that is human is of me. Yeah. So I I am like you sometimes. Well, I'm about to jump into the deep end and it may not land well, but I'm gonna say it anyways, Sean, who was on last week, always talk about so we were big fans of Byron Katie's The Work and we would watch a bunch of YouTube things of Byron Katie doing the work with certain people that were stuck on a certain issue. And okay. this woman was stuck on an issue that she was abused by her father. Okay. And she went through the four questions and the turnaround. We're not going to get into it, but she has these formulaic questions to ask. And where she ended up was, um, you know, because the idea is, can you have can you have some forgiveness or some ca- compassion towards your father? And a bit, initially, she's like, hell no! Like, look what he did to me. And where she arrived at through like a forty five minute session that we observed on YouTube was, can you imagine the amount of pain that the, that somebody has to be in in order to do something so atrocious? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was really powerful. Like if you look at this person who did some monstrous things to his daughter and know that you have to be in just an enormous amount of pain to do something so badly to somebody. And and I hear that. Yeah. But her work has been cited for often not being trauma informed. Yeah. Because, and, and again, I've read Byron Katie's work too. It's I'm not saying it's bad. Again, we got to hold this sure. place in between is that if somebody has been traumatized and has been harmed, especially by a parental figure like that, we don't want to turn it around Mm -hmm. and make that person who's traumatized feel bad for another person. You you can do, like, I feel like that is stage 100 after you've worked through and felt the anger and hatred of your experience. Like, sometimes why Byron Katie's work can be flagged is not trauma informed is it's too quick. Well, and what's interesting, I completely agree with you. Like it, you need to look at all the different Correct. variables, yeah. but I'm just making up a story about this woman. Let's say she's been stuck on this issue for 30 years. Right. I'm just making that up. I don't know if, if you are so stuck, Byron Katie's work could be an avenue to get unstuck. It could be a Or catalyst. it may not be. I don't know. It could be. And, and I then would focus less on turning around and looking at your and again, there's there's space for all of this, sure. 
but I think I'd work more on forgiveness in not the terms of I forgive you and it's okay, you did something wrong to me, but I am going to forgive so I can move on. Yeah. I am going to... It's to release never, myself. Correct. Because again, forgiveness does not mean that it was okay right. what happened to you. Forgiveness means that you have the pain that you've carried about it, that you've carried inside because of it, you no longer want to carry because then that person who harmed you still has power over mm-hmm. you. I do a whole section in my social work class about forgiveness and it's usually the most like eye-opening and sometimes my students push back on me because they've been really harmed by someone or something and they're like, I'm not going to forgive them. And I have to do a lot of work to teach them that you're not forgiving them. You are practicing forgiveness so you can let go and cut the cord between you and them. So it's really, and it's so... What I'm rubbing my fingers together. Like it's such a delicate issue Mm. that I think sometimes, like what you said, there's nothing you said that isn't good, but it's too simplistic if used alone. This is why people say that like self-help, which I'm a part of personal growth and self-help part of my work is in that. So I'm not distancing myself from it, but I really believe, believe in therapeutic intervention too, because Sometimes self-help and personal growth can force you to spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. Like just get over it. Yeah. And that is not trauma-informed means you allow that pain to have its natural release. Well, and that's where I am in regards to how I'm coaching guys and how I'm coaching myself and being being coached by other people. It's can you create the space to feel these feelings Correct. in your body? Yes. Because I am somebody who resides in my judgment too much from the neck up and not enough from the neck down. So when I get upset or afraid, can I truly feel it and express it? Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, just looking around in your day-to-day experiences, do we have safe places to do that? Right. And I think a lot of us don't. Mm-hmm. And it's safer to push that down because if we let it come up, who knows what's going to happen? So, you know, we're all over the place with this podcast, but it's fun to talk about. Do, do you have a safe place where you can show your, 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 for lack of a better term, messy side, the, the, the ugly cries and the fear and the paralyzing fear? Can you share that with somebody safe? And I think it starts with the person's ability to know that it's okay. Mm -hmm. I think that the work is such an individual experience and I'll give an example. So about, I think it was last week, um, I, we were sitting around having dinner and let me back up and say, I'm going to talk about grief because I think sometimes what happens with with um, trauma or grief is that we think that if we feel the feelings and talk about it, that it goes away mm-hmm. and that we're like, we've healed it and I'm no longer going to feel this. And the thing we have to understand about grief and trauma is we can process, identify, surrender to, understand, respect, and it's still going to come up occasionally. Yeah. And that's okay. Like that's, if there's anything I can tell people about grief and trauma, that's to be expected. So Last week we were having dinner and I can't remember what you said, but you said something that was about my dad. And I said, almost like a kid, I said, like I I sounded like a kid. I said, I miss my dad. Mm -hmm. And I started to cry. Now, I didn't know you were going to mention my dad at dinner. I didn't know that I was going to say I miss my dad and cry, but I started to cry. And then my, one of my daughters looked at me. And she's, she's just kind of in that really spongy time. She's a very empathetic person, but in that spongy time where then she started to cry. The mirror neurons started kicking in. Big times because I started to cry and, you know, and we kind of smiled at each other. It wasn't like a big deal, but I think what it was important in that moment is I know it's okay to have that reaction to, to my dad. Like I know it's okay to occasionally have crying because I miss my dad. And because of that, I don't feel as if my daughter is being harmed in that moment. But what I did do after we were done with our food and done crying is I said, honey, one thing I want you to know is I understand why you cry when you see me. And we talked about mirror neurons, Mm -hmm. like you just said. And I said, and, and I think it's beautiful and empathetic. And that's exactly how we're built, you know, is to feel other people's feelings. But I don't want you to feel like you need to carry my sadness because mm-hmm. I feel very capable 
of having my own sadness. I don't need anyone to to help me with it, yeah. and especially my girls. And you know, and she was like, "I know, I know." And and I said, "But like, there's nothing wrong with her having an experience with my experience." She tells me she's human. Exactly, but I also don't want her walking away thinking like I'm worried about my mom. Well, what's coming to me right now as you're talking is, in you know our kids are not here to hold the space for us. I feel like it's kind of my job as your partner, your equal partner that I need to be able to hold that space and um, you know, and holding spaces don't fix it and all that other stuff. So I think what you said to Skylar was beautiful. Like it's okay that you did that and you don't have to carry this for me. Uh, It's like, what you, your reaction to me crying is the most typical human reaction. It's how we're hardwired. So yeah. that's not a problem. Yeah. At the same time, you don't need to worry about me. Right. It's that basic. Like you don't need to be, because a lot of times our biggest, when someone's sad, you know, for those of you who are on TikTok or on YouTube and you see all those videos of like a parent pretending they're crying and then the baby walks over and is like, are you okay? Are you okay? That's how we're hardwired yeah. is to help people. But Helping can sometimes just be like allowing that person to have that sadness and not making it a thing. And that's, I think that's what I mean about when I cry in front of people, I don't apologize for it. I'm not intending to make anyone feel, my intention is not to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but see, I don't feel uncomfortable when yeah. I'm crying. I'm, I'm uncomfortable in the fact that sadness is inherently uncomfortable, but I don't feel bad doing it. Right. I don't feel like, because a lot of people start crying and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And why are they doing that? That drives me nuts. Well, and, and that's not fair, but whenever, you know, I've been in a circle of men and guys will cry and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. Right. Like, this is great. And your ability, like I'm speaking to the men in your group and the women I work with, because I am always like, please don't say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. Your ability to have your feelings and own them and sit in that space allows everybody to not worry about you. Mm-hmm. If you cry and allow that instead of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, then you, you, you're telling everybody else, I can manage this. So I just, I, I feel, I don't know how we got here, but I f- it's important for me to say that as I work on this and cultivate this ability in myself, like to relearn what I used to do very naturally when I was two years old, and then social conditioning and trauma and all these things kind of shut me down or closed me up a little bit. So for me, <clears throat> anger, sadness, fear usually starts in my head, or mm-hmm. at least that's how I recognize it. I actually believe it starts in my body first, but I'm not, I'm not tuned in. Mm -hmm. So when it does happen in my head, for me, what I do, what I've been doing lately is getting quiet, not talking, and then giving it a, so if somebody's like, well, how do I do this? Cause I'm sure there's at least a lot of guys out there saying, you know, the only emotion I am allowed to emote is anger. And that's the only one that comes natural to me, fear and sadness, whatever. I stop talking and then I give it maybe a sound or a movement, just do something other than whatever's happening between the ears. And, you know, movement could just, it could be anything. Like there's no proper way to guide somebody into moving it or give it a sound. Like if it's sorrow or or sadness, then there's usually sound related to that. And sometimes this, the, the crying, the sound of whimpering happens naturally, but other times the way I get it started is by making a sound Mm. that sounds similar to it. And then all of a sudden it will, my body will catch up to what my brain is trying to do. So in shamanic understanding, that's called toning. Mm, Okay. Where you actually start making a sound that allows, it's very primal. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, like a big, you know, sigh. And then all of a sudden your body starts to release. So toning is the is right. the word at least that I've read that people often use. Yeah, there's a million different techniques, but that's, you know, um, you know, the sound, the movement, you know, it's all very exciting to me. I'm I'm just slowly learning about this, but it's really important. Well, as you were saying that, I thought, you know, just because everything goes back to a TV show or a movie for me, and um, we've been watching Ted Lasso, which I hope a lot of you are watching because it's really good, very mm-hmm. emotionally intelligent. Um, and one of the... Um, Ball players, I think his name's Roy. Mm-hmm. He's the ca- he's the captain. Yeah, and he's like angry, and he actually growls yeah. when he's mad. Right, and so then everybody knows he's mad, and he so it's a very like a primal way 
of, you know, he really literally makes a growling sound. Now he's, again, this gets into this like middle place where I'm very understanding that if people were walking around growling and being angry all the time, we may feel unsafe. Well, and there's discernment too. This might not be the best time to do it at the board meeting. Right. Like there's discernment here. It doesn't totally. mean just let it out whenever. Totally. But, but create some opportunities, but go ahead. Well, you're exactly right. Is that I think the reason why I like calling this show Do No Harm is that that's a very you're constantly going back and forth between, yes, anger's good and anger's healthy, but if anger goes this way, it's not. Yeah, it's good to make a sound if you're angry, but if it's scaring other people, you want to be thoughtful. Yeah, it's good to let out your anger, but maybe you're not with the right people to do that. Like it's such, and then people will say, well, what's the point? It's too hard. And it's like, no, this is human it's the beings. Work. This, this is, is what we got to do. This is what it means to be a human being. And so I, so I found this image that speaks to feeling torn about speaking up about boundaries. Mm. And this really goes into this world of do no harm again, because how do we speak up about boundaries without hurting the people that yeah. we're speaking up? Every time you set up a boundary, you're probably going to disappoint somebody. Correct. And this is a perfect example of do no harm is when are you allowing yourself to be harmed versus somebody else? Either way, there is some kind of quote unquote harm, but how do we choose, mm -hmm. right? How do we live in that paradox? How do we live in that back and forth? And so it gives us example. It says we're choosing temporary discomfort over growing resentment. Yeah. We're choosing self-respect over self-sabotage. We're choosing protecting our finite energy over compassion, fatigue, and burnout. And we're choosing authentic connection over staying hidden. And it's a practice because I would say, and you're not even going to remember this time probably, but when historically when I would bring up things, probably very imperfectly, but I would bring up things where I felt like my boundaries were being crossed, like you weren't showing up or doing something or I didn't feel like you were seeing something. You were initially defensive, sure. right? So then I can say, well, I am harming because now we're in this contentious conversation. Yeah, this was a wrong decision because now we're in, we're, we're both triggered or whatever. Correct. And now I'm trying to say something to you and you're angry and we're getting nowhere. Yeah. Easier just not to bring it up. Correct. And so th that would be deciding to stay hidden or to gr have my resentment grow, mm -hmm. staying quiet. And so we have to choose that temporary discomfort and and keep ourselves in check where we're not like, okay, now the door's wide open where I'm going to rail all over you about mm -hmm. this. It's like we have to say, I just need to focus on this thing so we can get through this. And then the more we do this, like now when I bring things up with you, your response is so calm, mm. meaning that sometimes you're like, well, I didn't do that, or I'm not quite sure you're hearing this right, or whatever. It's not that you become, and this is where I feel like for the men listening, it's not like Todd rolls over and is like, Kathy, whatever you say is right. He he He's never been that person. He's not that person. But he's like, hold on, let me listen to what you're saying. Well, and I will say that that comes with practice. Right. Years. Years of practice. Right. We've had years. And... I'm still working on it. Mm -hmm. Of course, there might be, you might, tomorrow I might do something that pisses you off and all of a sudden you say something and I get really triggered and reactive and all of a sudden we reel a little bit. But the repair is something that we're pretty good at is figuring out how to repair any any break. Yeah, I think the thing that you and I don't struggle with as much anymore is bringing up a hard topic. Like yeah. even if we just had a, a disagreement about something and maybe we walked away both a little exacerbated by each other's response, Next time I walk by you in the hallway, I'm like, we just totally had an argument. Like, we don't pretend that it didn't happen. Yeah. With my girls, too. Like, the whole pretending that didn't happen. And a lot of my clients say that to me. They'll say, well, my kid had a hard time last night, and we're just not going to bring it up because at least we've gotten through so it. So what you're explaining, and I, first of all, I think you've shared this exact graphic years okay. ago on the podcast. This one that I just yeah, said? Yeah, oh. it, it rings a bell. Okay. But what all this is for me... Is maybe it's the first box. I think the, the temporary discomfort over growing resentment. That's what it's all about: yep. short term versus long term. And as human beings, we don't like to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's just stick with the short term band aid fixes. Yeah. I was just on a on a call with a client who's who may or may not hire me, but I said, "Listen, there's two different ways to deal with the weeds in your backyard. You can either take a lawnmower and just mow over the weeds." And that's easy, quick, boom. But what's going to happen is they're going to come back up. And or, sometimes bigger. And sometimes bigger. Or we can, you know, get dirty and pull the weeds up from the root, which mm -hmm. is really hard. And if we want to have a con conscious relationships with people, 
it's the second thing. We got to go through these challenging moments and be uncomfortable because, you know, a lot of, I did a whole workshop last Wednesday on changing. And what happens is we have this discomfort that we numb out really quickly. Mm -hmm. We numb it out with Netflix. We numb, numb it out with booze. We numb it out with overworking ourselves. So instead of feeling whatever this uncomfortable feeling is, I'll just distract myself. Yeah. So what, what we want to do is have that difficult conversation, not to be a jerk. Hopefully you can do it with some, uh, Respect for yourself respect and the other person. To, yeah, dignity, uh -huh. respect. It's not a license just to be a no, jerk. No, never. Um, so it's not the what you're going to say to your partner when they do something to piss you off. It's how are you going to say it? From what energy are you going to say it from? And sometimes you're going to screw up and you're going to be in reactivity and it's going to be below the line and all that. And then you're going to have to, you know, repair that. But if you can do it from a place up front of having this dis this uncomfortable conversation from a place of awareness... That's when you're on to something. Exactly. And I think that, again, this is going back to this is why the individual work, you know, there's discussions I get into with colleagues and other people in this, you know, wellness profession about what's more important, the relationship work or the individual work. And I don't see them as being separate mm -hmm. because to be in a relationship, you have to do your individual work. Like, I don't see it as like, I'm either going to go this way or the other way. They, to me, are intertwined so deeply. The roots are so interconnected that they go back and forth. It's like a ping pong ball. Like, which one am I working on now? Because I believe that when I, and I'll just speak for myself, when I bring something to Todd, I have to be very conscious of why I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, um, how I'm saying it, and um, and being prepared for the openness to listen to him, right? And if and and let me be clear, I don't always check all those boxes no. because sometimes I come in and I'm just pissed, mm -hmm. and I'm like, "You didn't do blah blah blah," mm -hmm. and it's something that he probably should have done. Or I'm very righteous and possibly even right, but the way I'm saying it is going to disrespect the relationship. So here's the trick. And, and this is why we meditate. This is where, why we have this practice of love and self-compassion and all that. And, you know, you and I don't do it perfectly every time either, but usually if it ever goes sideways, it's when you say it in an, let's say an unkind way. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be in a reactivity mode and then all you of a react. sudden I get defensive. Mm -hmm. That's when it gets really messy. But mm -hmm. let's just say you come at, at it from a not so great place, but I happen to be in a really conscious place, I can disassociate a little bit from it, not from the situation, but like she's in reactivity mode. And actually use a different word than disassociate because disassociate means that you disconnect. Right. I can have a different perspective. You can step back. I from can it. step away yeah. from it. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that and vice versa, like if I come and I'm angry at something and you know that I'm in just, this is not about the issue. This is about some, uh, unhealed childhood wound or whatever it is, then you can meet me with some compassion and give me some loving acceptance, even though I'm not saying it the right way. Mm -hmm. And what's, you know, I think of Eckhart, like this is just what happens is we have a couple of pain bodies just, or egos just arguing with, with each other. All you need is one of those two people to be in a conscious place to be able to listen. You know, I think of Don Miguel Ruiz, like don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. Like can, can I not take your reactivity right now personally. Correct. It's and, really hard to do. Well, and here's the way I look at it. While Todd was talking, I started to get all this this imagery in my head about if you have not done this. So let's just talk about like a forest, okay? So talking to somebody in this way where you're being uh, conscious of your, you're being self-regulated and you're being thoughtful about, um, you know, how this is going to land. So you're practicing individual and relationship, you know, responsibility. If you've never done that before, if this is new, then you're going through a brand new forest with no path. Yeah. So the dynamics in the conversation is going to be interesting, weird, maybe off-putting, maybe more difficult at the beginning. But the more you practice this, you start to lay down a road. And I'm saying this metaphorically and also literally neurobiology, neurobiologically in your brain, where it starts to become the norm. And then as you're walking through this forest in your brain or outside, there's, it starts to become a little more clear where you're like, okay, I know we can do this. I see I see the forest. What is the thing? The forest through the trees? How do forest you say from the trees. Forest from the trees. Do you see the forest or do you see the trees? 
I don't know if I'm using the, it the right way. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to not use it. Um, <laughs> sometimes you don't know. Well, I think the force is you're stepping back, looking at the entire situation. But what's the statement? What's What do people say? I've seen the... Are you looking? I, I don't know. Well, it's funny that I'm having this experience because I just saw this TikTok thing where they were talking about phrases we use wrong. Yeah. And I was laughing at them because I use a lot of them wrong. So basically, I'm using that one wrong. I got it for you. Oh, okay. Uh, an expression used of someone who is too involved in the details of a problem to look at the situation as a whole. Um, the con- so they give an example. The congressman became so involved in the wording of his bill that he couldn't see the forest for the trees. He did not realize the bill could never pass. So the forest in this situation is seeing the bigger picture of that connection and communication and being more thoughtful with with each other takes time and practice mm-hmm. and ongoing conversations. Yeah. Sometimes we have our first conversation, like somebody will listen to Zen Parenting and they'll say, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do these things that I was hearing Kathy and Todd talking about. I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. And maybe it doesn't change anything. Right. And it's like difficult. And this is not just with your partner, it's with your kids. And then people come back and say, it didn't work. Because they want instant results. And what I'm saying in the big picture is I don't even know what results you're looking for, and I don't even have an answer of exactly how to do it. What I know, though, is if you are being self-respecting and respecting of the person in front of you, that inherently is the best method of connection. So maybe historically you've been not self-respecting or not respecting of the other person. So initially when you start to be that way, the other person is defensive or critical or suspicious. And so it doesn't go great. Like this happens with kids all the time. Parents will say, I started asking my kids questions and I started being interested in their lives. And my kids were like, what are you up to? What do you want from me? Kids do that because they're not used to you being that way. And it's going to take some time and practice to create that path where that becomes the norm. And so my point is, is going back to like getting back to the end here of do no harm is if we can find these grounding principles for ourselves, that we can move forward with those and know that it's not always going to work out perfectly, that sometimes we do end up in inadvertently harming someone when that wasn't our intention at all, or a conversation doesn't go the way we thought, or the person we're having the conversation with is gaslighting us and it's not going to work ever, yeah. um, or we have to make a difficult calculated risk or choice where a few people in our lives may be unhappy, but in the long run, it's what's best for our family or our situation. If we can just have those grounding, that grounding understanding and respect for ourselves and everyone else, life is, it's not perfect, but it's smoother. Mm-hmm. It's less filled with so much animosity and so much um, fighting. Like, I think the the interesting thing is, is that online, what I watch people do is go after people and they're so righteous and sure. And in their situation, they may be exactly right, but they don't know what this person that they're typing to, you know, so frantically is experiencing. And it can be too simplistic and a little bit spiritual bypassing to say, be kind to everybody because you don't know what they're going through. I love that thought, but it can be difficult if someone's hurting you or if, you know, I I get that. But in a general understanding, it's a good outlook. You know, you may have to speak up to that person, but can you do it in a way that is non- that you're not attempting to threat or use tools of oppression in the process. Yeah, and I guess just to kind of like close the loop is um, just see how, I don't know how to do this. It's not all about the other person. Yes, yes. There's, you know, there's always, this is going to be dangerous, but no matter how you slice it, there's always two sides. Always. And there's always learning that can take place. Let's say somebody did a harm to you. There's learning in that for you. Even though they harmed you, there's something you can learn about yourself yes. in that. That doesn't mean what that you're glad that they did it, but it means that there's something here for you that you can work. And maybe the, the gift is you 
have an opportunity to set up a more firm boundary that you weren't willing to do beforehand. Yeah, it's not about when Todd says like there's something in there or there's two people, it doesn't mean that you have 50% responsibility and they do too. It means that where are you in this situation? You may need to not be with this person anymore, or you may need to set up a boundary, or you may need to have more boundaries with your children, or you may, you know, there, it's not about it's your fault. And that's the dichotomy of, of, is it my fault or their fault? And that's that, that black and white thinking that that's not the way the world works. It's way too intricate to be so clean cut. And, um, one of the women that, uh, you know, I was talking about Lisa Rankin's page and one of the teachers she talks about all the time is this woman named Carla McLaren. She wrote this book called the art of empathy. And one of the things that she says that I think is really important and you love to talk about shadow work is she said that shadow work is a specific practice you can use to understand and work with your hatreds so they don't endanger you or others. Let's look at hatred empathetically in order to understand what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Now, that those two sentences are, are they're full of so many things that we can, you know, rip right. apart and like not rip apart in a bad way, but we can like deep dive yeah. into. But what she's saying is she's not saying you're the problem if you hate someone or that because it may be justified in the way that they're treating you or gaslighting you or harming you or abusing you. But what in your hatred is that is the hatred telling you get out of this relationship Mm -hmm. or speak up or do something or walk away or ask for help, you know, like use your hatreds to figure out catalyst for change. Like my, I've used the word hate more in the last couple of years that I've used in my entire life. And what it's woken me up to is that I need to take a more active role in things, that I don't get to stand back anymore and allow other people to do the work or expect everybody else to speak up, that the more I get myself involved and the more I'm honest about how I feel, the less I feel that hatred because I feel more empowered by my own ability to do something. And so, you know, the other thing that... uh, Anne Lamont says in her book, the almost uh, what it what is almost everything. She talks about how hatred was really helpful to her when she was quitting smoking because hatred of how she felt after smoking helped her quit smoking. Right. So even hatred can be viewed toward like I'm feeling all these feelings, and it ended up being a good thing in the long term for me. But if we start hurting ourselves and others because of hatred, then it's off the deep end. Do you see what I mean? I do, and I'll close it just. And okay. I've shared this before getting wisdom from the emotions. Right. Okay. So this is a cheat sheet that I have from the place that I'm uh, doing some learning from, um, conscious leadership group, anger. What is, so the wisdom of anger, what is not or no longer of service, what is not aligned, what needs to be changed or destroyed so something can be put in its place. Right. So kind of like you said, smoking cigarettes, maybe, um, sadness, what needs to be let go of fear? What needs to be known? Uh, joy, what needs to be celebrated. So with each of these feelings that come up in us, there is some wisdom if we could identify it, express it, and then eventually seek the wisdom from it. My problem is I t- I sometimes try to seek the wisdom from it before I feel it. Right. Like, okay, let me just get the message so I don't have to feel the temporary discomfort yes. of this. And I will say, I just said to you the other day on a walk, Todd, that like sometimes when I'm afraid of something, I can dive head first into it and read everything about it. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people say, well, if, if this bothers you, if, or if this makes you upset, then stay away from it. Yeah. But for me, I'm not judging anybody who does that, but that feels like a numbing. Yeah. That feels like me trying to pretend something's not happening. Yeah, and you don't want to spiritually bypass y- your fear in this situation. So I read and I read and I read and I have to sit in that temporary discomfort of learning the truth mm-hmm. about things. And then as, as I get more information, I feel more centered about this is why I'm making this decision. I have this information, but this is, this is how I'm going to move forward. This is what I need to do. And I feel more centered rather than pretending, rather than putting my hands over my ears and going, la, 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 la. Like I need to have all the information at hand. Right. Um, and that's how I make decisions, but it's not always comfortable. No. Like I got to be honest. Like sometimes I'm like, oh. Well, once again, can we... Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. All right. So we are way over time. Okay. 
a few things. Team Zen, if you're looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents, join Team Zen where you you will get zero pressure and 100% support. Last week, we had Dr. Alexander Solomon on. Next week, it's you and I, sweetie. And then two weeks after that, it's Rosalind Wiseman who wrote uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes. So um, hopefully you guys check that out. It's uh, first month's free if you type in the coupon code FRIEND. And then don't forget menliving.org if there's any guys out there. Uh, check us out. We're doing some really exciting, fun stuff to connect men and help you become the best version of yourself. So, You know what's interesting about mm-hmm. Zen Parenting Radio? What? This, not December, but like January 1st, is our 10-year anniversary. Yes. So we have been doing this podcast since 2011. Time to celebrate. So we are going to... Well, you're going to see us probably talking and writing about it all the time, but we're going to have some, we're going to have some swag. We're going to have some merch, as my girls would say. We're going to have some T-shirts, and we're going to have some coffee mugs. Like basically, the one I'm holding right now. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, this isn't the Zen Parenting. Yeah, they mug. can't see that, sweetie. Well, I know, but it's like a camping mug that stays warm. Yeah. So your coffee stays warm, and they're going to say Zen Parenting Radio 2011 to 2021. It'll be in the Zen store uh, hopefully in the next week or two. Yeah, and the shirts are they say I listen. A lot of people there. These were the first shirts we ever had when we started Zen Parenting ten years ago. We had these shirts that said I listen, and then Zen Parenting Radio on the back, and it's a re. It's like an what what is that called when you bring out an old model a re- retro. Yeah, it's kind of a retro. Yeah. Um, so anyway, happy anniversary, Toddy. Same to you, my darling. Um, all right. So you, everybody, I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Yes. See you next week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.